Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we digitise weird and wonderful science into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, Dr Kanodi talks about pandemic dentistry and Phil Esterman talks about robotic birthdays. But first up, here's news of pirate libraries. Is the Internet Archive illegally selling books? That's what a friend told me recently, and he was so disappointed in them. I've used the Internet Archive to archive the Diffusion podcast since 2005. I'm a big fan of their Wayback Machine, music that's out of copyright, and the old educational films in the Prelinger collection. So, I looked it up. And it's true that the Internet Archive has been taken to court over piracy charges. But it's not about selling books illegally, it's about operating as a library. As it happens, the Internet Archive is licensed as a library under American law and gets government grants as a library. The Internet Archive is a non-profit digital library, preserving and providing access to cultural artefacts of all kinds in electronic form. They preserve most of the World Wide Web in the Wayback Machine. What happened is that a Books and Mortar library was forced to close down, so they donated their entire book collection to the Internet Archive. The Internet Archive decided that people in the 2020 lockdowns needed a digital library, so they digitised their collection of physical books and then used controlled digital lending software to lend out one copy of any book at a time, so that they didn't violate copyright in their National Emergency Library. Many libraries around the world use similar digital lending, where only one copy at a time can be borrowed and read using a special reader app. The app blocks access to the book when your borrowing time is up, or you digitally return the book, so that someone else can borrow the digital version of the book. Every digital book is backed by ownership of a physical paper book at the Internet Archive, and only one person is permitted to borrow any book at a time. Four publishers, Hachette, Penguin Random House, John Wiley and Sons and HarperCollins want all digital lending from all public libraries to come under their control and to be paid every time someone at a library borrows an electronic book. Basically, they're seeking to abolish public libraries altogether by starting with digital e-books. They're trying to say that digital books are different, so they should never be loaned for free, and... At the same time, that lending physical and digital books for free upsets their business model, so all public libraries should be illegal. Except, they don't say the last part out loud. The Electronic Frontier Foundation is defending the Internet Archive in court. They argue that libraries have never been required to get permissions or pay extra fees to lend books. Libraries all over the world use controlled digital lending software to loan out digital books one at a time, just as they've always done for physical books. 
copyright law allows that lawful fair use. It doesn't prevent it. In July, the Electronic Frontier Foundation submitted to the court a motion for summary judgment, asking the court to put an end to this lawsuit. What they've missed is that some countries do compensate authors for the free borrowing of their books in public libraries. In Australia, the Australian Society of Authors successfully campaigned to implement the public lending right in 1975 and the educational lending right in 2000. Only living Australian creators are paid by the Australian government, not the local public libraries. The Australian Society of Authors are now campaigning for a digital lending right to extend the payments to digital books. In 2020, authors and illustrators were paid $2.18 per book held in libraries and publishers were paid 55 cents per book. Canada, the United Kingdom and Denmark have similar public lending right payments to authors. There was a public library in Antioch a thousand years ago. The claim for the oldest public library in the English-speaking world is claimed by Cheatham's Library, opened in 1653 in Manchester, England. Public libraries funded by the government as we know them today were first opened in England and the United States in the 1830s. It's often been said that if public libraries were to be invented today, publishing corporations would seek to ban them. This is exactly what's being tested in American courts by these four publishers. Can they ban the public library? You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. It's the 10th anniversary of the Curiosity Mars rover landing on Mars and exploring the Gale Crater. For its first anniversary, Curiosity was programmed to sing itself Happy Birthday, but it wasn't directed to sing the following birthdays to save on power. For its 10th birthday, why not ask lawn-mowing robots to sing a birthday chorus around the world? Fifth, Husqvarna is launching a software update, giving our robotic lawnmowers a voice to sing happy birthday to the loneliest robot in the universe. Phil Esterman is the product manager for robotics and digital solutions at Husqvarna. They make robot lawnmowers. We spoke by Zoom and I began by asking him, what did you do? So what we've done is we've programmed around about 100,000 of our robotic mowers to sing happy birthday at 12pm, 3pm and 6pm on August 5th uh, here in the Southern Hemisphere and August 6th up in the Northern Hemisphere. And the whole idea behind that was that 
Mars Curiosity rover has been on Mars now 10 years. So it's the 10th anniversary. And after its first, very first anniversary, the NASA engineers actually programmed the Mars rover to sing its own happy birthday. So that's where the original idea came from. And our software engineers decided that's a good little challenge for them. And uh, they've come out now with some special software. We've loaded up and, and we actually had the, the mowers mowing around the lawn singing happy birthday. So the Curiosity rover got to sing itself happy birthday for its first year. But until this 10th year, it didn't have any happy birthdays until the lawnmower robots got together. Correct. Correct. Apparently it used up too much battery power. It's singing its own happy And it said on the press release that the robots were using the If Then Then That, the IFTTT site, to get the software. So how would that work? Because I thought it'd be directly the robot software, but it's on the web? Oh, no. So what what you have is it's built into the Automower Connect app itself. So we control the mowers using an app on our phone. And our software engineers back in Sweden... Uh, pre-programmed the app so that way we we all from an end user point of view all you've got to do is open up the app and then connect to that particular function and then the automower was pre-programmed to sing at 12 3 and 6 p.m right so it does use ifttt but it's it's built in so from an end user point of view it's very easy to switch on there's there's no sort of fiddling around having to do things with it these lawn mowing robots can you tell me more about the robot? So people can buy a robot that will mow their lawn. How much interaction do they need? Very little. Once the, the mower itself has been installed, usually through one of our professional installers, uh, and then properly programmed, uh, it's very much sort of a set and, and forget because you can then tell it when to come out and start mowing. So it can say mow at 6 p.m. and then continue all night and then go at 6 a.m., come back and dock itself. Uh, and just stay stay away from the garden during the daytime and just be mowing at night. So that that's one option. Or alternatively, if the user wants to interact with it, they can stop it, park it, pause it, and then they can also change the cutting height on there all through the app on the phone. So it's very flexible. And as I said, it can be in some places, people are just happy to let it run and others, people get very engaged with it. And I assume it's an electric mower? Uh, yes, the lithium um, battery in there. So it's got to have a charging station, and when the battery gets um, below its threshold, it'll automatically take itself back. So it's fully autonomous, and uh, there's no need for anyone to pick it up and put it in the in the charging station. It will take itself back there, recharge, and then about an hour and a half later, come back out and continue to mow. So it's just going through that over a 24-hour period, just mowing, charging, mowing, charging. So do they collect the grass cutting? Ah, that's a good question. We often get asked that. Uh, no, it actually mulches them. So it only ever, it's got three razor sharp, almost like Stanley knife blades, if you can imagine. And it just only ever takes a little bit of the clippings off the top. So the lawn always stays evenly cut. Um, You don't get that traditional way where you cut it very low and then you let it go for two or three weeks and then it starts to look untidy. Then you come and mow it again. So the mower's out there every day mowing. So it only ever takes a little bit off the top. That feeds back into the ground as natural fertilizer and actually your lawn comes up very lush and green, probably after about a month. Are the robots easy to use? With the solution, we've got to put a cable in the ground, and that defines the perimeter. So once the professional installer has, has set it up, there's very little programming and interaction in, involved. And then you can also, if you've got any sort of garden beds, um, you can create islands and stay-out zones 
around those areas. So that way the mower, uh, again, will just hit the perimeter wire, reverse back and then continue off in a different direction. So it sort of works similar to a robot vacuum cleaner, um, but I think it's a lot easier um, to program. You've got a, a really large keypad and LCD display on, on the mower itself, and then you've got the ability to control it through the app as well. They're very stylish. Is that because it's from a Swedish company? Yeah, well, we've been doing them for probably 25 years. So over that period of time, we're now into our fourth generation. You'll find a lot of competitors on the market are only into their first generation of robotic mail. So they've yet to learn what we've learned over the last 25 years. And so we've been pretty happy to refine not just the technology, but the look and feel of the robot mowers. And we're still enhancing that going forward into 2023 and 2024 as well with a new range that's coming out. So it's also going to have a redesign, much more sleeker look. And you've got to remember, a lot of people um, tend to personalise these robot mowers. They give them names and they become part of the family. So I think it's important to have, a, a let's say, a good-looking mower out on the lawn um, in terms of, of design. So that's sort of where our history has been and where we've come with fourth generation now. And what are the safety aspects of the robots? Safety aspects, so it's got collision sensors, front and and rear. So firstly, it'll have uh, object detection as well. So it'll detect an object up to 50 centimetres away, slow down the wheel motors, and then just gently bump into somebody or a tree or whatever it might be. So that's one of the first um, sort of safety features. It's also got a lift sensor. So if somebody does lift it up at the front, automatically the cutting disc underneath will cut out within two seconds and stop spinning and then the end user will get a notification on their app that the mower has been lifted so they'll actually be able to, to see that. I think the other safety aspect is that our cutting is centered in the middle of the mower. There are some others that are competitors out there that are offset to the side so you'd have to really put your hand right underneath the mower in order to be able to get cut plus then in our models, uh, we also have a skid plate, so it sort of protects anybody or anything from actually the cutting disc as well. So again, competitors don't often have that skid plate. So we sort of minimised it, and really we have only only ever had one accident in all the time I've been here, which is 10 years now as well. And do you think this is the, the last connection to space that the company's robots will have? Now that they've done this, I'm, I'm quite sure that they attend to do this again i'm sure maybe with the perseverance rover i'm not sure (laughs) in terms of our robotic mowers we're seeing the market has really shifted in the last few years here in australia even on friday we were out doing a shoot with a a film crew for project this coming 6 30 for the mars rover and uh, people were walking by going oh that's a robotic mower." so Straight away, the market awareness is, is there now compared to a few years ago. It was that can't cut grass? What is it? How does it cut grass? So we, we're, cha- we're seeing people's mindsets have completely changed when it comes to automating that part of the lawn. We're also finding that constraints of business with an ageing population and then you've got time poor people as well. So they're also looking to free up their time on the weekend and sort of claim their weekend back by having more time to spend then with the kids or more pleasurable activities rather than just standing behind a, a lawnmower. So there's a big, big upside to, to having a, a robotic mower. Uh, and, that, and don't forget too, with the sustainability now, moving away from emissions, no fuel, no noise, 
So there's really a lot of sustainability um, sides um, to robotic mowers. So it sort of pretty much ticks all the boxes. And, and we've got mowers that can handle anything from 500 square metres up to 5,000 square metres. And in 2023, we'll be looking to launch a, a robotic mower that can do 18 acres in, in one mowing session. So uh, they're getting they're coming out bigger now. Um, and these will be obviously commercial grade robotic mowers. So we've got them for both residential and commercial. We're finding a lot of commercial entities, councils, cemeteries, vineyards, bed and breakfast are all very, very keen on this to because of labour shortages uh, is one aspect for them. Uh, and again, all the sustainability and then be able to leverage and the free time that it, it frees up for people. I think they must be quite good for your health as well, because I remember that using a lawnmower, an old traditional one, they're really loud, so there's a danger to your hearing, and they vibrate a lot. It's just really not a good experience for your health. So just having a little robot go out and do it for you must be uh, more than just free time. It seems to be healthier. Oh, yeah, a lot healthier, definitely. And as in the other side, of course, with your traditional mowers, it's, it's kicking around rocks and sticks and damaging cars. <laughs> so the robot mower won't do, any, won't do any of that sort of thing. So it just ticks all, all of the boxes. I'm very pleased with my one at home. I mow Friday nights and I wake up Saturday morning and I'm already done. And then I can hear all of the neighbours cursing and swearing because they're having trouble starting their mowers or run out of fuel. And so... You sort of just shake your head, think those are really the old days. <laughs> old days and old ways. They must be pretty quiet if you can run them overnight. They were generally around about 58 decibels, and most council noise pollutions are around about 65 decibels. So, yeah, very, very quiet. The only time you might hear it is if it bumps into a tree. So typically when we do an installation, we would tend to island off those trees near the house and if they're further down the back, if it's a big property further down the back, then we don't worry about it because they won't hear it. But certainly um, any anything near the house, we would island that off so that the mower doesn't collide. Um, but that's about the only time you might actually hear it. Well, Phil, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome, Anne. Anytime. Thank you very much for the opportunity. That was Phil Esterman from Huskverner with his lawn mowing robots singing happy birthday to the Mars Curiosity rover for its 10th anniversary on Mars. Is it safe to go back to the dentist in the pandemic? Dr Michaelia Canotti is a dentist with the Australian Dental Association. I spoke to her by Zoom and began by asking her... People have been putting off going back to the dentist since the pandemic started. A survey of 25,000 Australians by the Australian Dental Association found that one in three adults did delay a dental appointment during the course of the pandemic. So that's going back to March 2020 when it kind of kicked off in Australia. And we have found, though, that what they did say is that about just over 50% of them said that they were planning to go back in the next one to three months. Another about 20% said they were going to go back in some space within within the next 12 months. So we are seeing that people are slowly trickling back. I guess that's quite dangerous for people's dental health for that they're not getting regular care from their dentist. So especially being that the pandemic started just about 
well, from that time when the survey was completed, it was just about nearly two years. And if people hadn't been in that space of time, it's definitely enough time for diseases in the mouth to develop, so tooth decay to develop, gum disease to, to start developing, and even for things that may have been around before this time and hadn't been picked up, are definitely for them to get worse as well. So things can definitely go downhill in that type of time period. And it's not just about losing your teeth and having terrible pain in your mouth. Your oral health can affect your entire body, can't it? That's right. So your oral health affects so much. It allows you to eat, to speak, to be confident and comfortable socially as well. But then it is the health of the body is linked to the mouth as well. So we did find that in our survey that about two thirds of adults aren't aware of that link. And there's many conditions, but perhaps one of the most notable that a lot of people are starting to know about is the link between severe gum disease and diabetes. So people with diabetes that has potentially not yet been detected or is not particularly well controlled, those individuals can be at higher risk of developing severe gum disease where the foundations that hold the teeth in place actually start to get worn away and the teeth can become become loose. Do we know the mechanism, how that is connected to diabetes? Is the diabetes causing the problems with the teeth or is there the gum disease some way correlated with the beginnings of diabetes? So they are finding there is a two-way correlation, but it is the inflammatory process with the diabetes coming towards causing the problems in the mouth. There's some evidence that it is there is a bit of a two-way street for that, but it is still emerging evidence and more and more information is being found out about that. And I thought I'd read that there was some connection to heart disease as well. Yes, so heart disease is one of the other factors or one of the other, sorry, health conditions that is linked to the health of the mouth. So people with untreated gum disease can actually be at a large risk of having heart heart issues such as a heart attack. Uh, So once again, it's coming back to that inflammation that's present and kind of traveling around to the other parts of the body. And so people were worried, I guess, about being in enclosed spaces with other people. So Mm. what can we do to make people feel safer about going back to the dentist? So dental clinics have always had very high levels of infection control practices in Australia, even before the pandemic. And I mean, during the course of the pandemic and, 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 and now, I guess, potentially as well, those have only really been, you know, stepped up and tightened even more in a way because people are just so aware of everything that's happening. So People should feel comfortable and safe in regards to going back to the dentist. Obviously, we can't control the environment you're in in that space where you're traveling, but the actual clinic itself is under very strict infection control practices. And, you know, you could be doing your body and your mouth a good service by getting that done rather than leaving it to potentially what we may consider the end of the pandemic, which we don't actually know when that will be at this stage. So you're kind of waiting an indefinite amount of time if you're going to have that as your end point. Has there been a greater danger to dentists? Because I guess dentists have always been exposed to airborne disease, so you've always had to be aware of it. So with regards to COVID, I mean, 
I don't think they're at any greater risk than those who are actually treating those people that have COVID, you know, so all these hospital workers that are actually having the patients that come in with COVID already or already, you know, diagnosed and having to treat them. So they're at much greater risk. There is practices that dental clinics may be doing to try and limit people coming in if they have been sick or potentially may have signs of COVID to try and not have people who are potentially infectious around in those in those health centers and clinics. So, I mean, I think continuing to work through the pandemic, they're at less risk than at this stage than other health professions compared to those ones seeing patients who are already diagnosed. So people should look at planning to make an appointment and get back, get your regular dental cleaning and maintenance and care. Yes, definitely. So should ideally get back to seeing the dentist regularly. So kickstart that with that first appointment, get back in there, you know, have the teeth checked out and, um, you know, you'll feel better for it and kind of peace of mind as well, knowing that potentially everything's okay or, or if there is something wrong, your dentist can help you out with that. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you'd like to talk about? I just would like to mention that if people are looking for oral health information online, the Australian Dental Association has created a website called teeth.org.au. So it's kind of like a one-stop shop for oral health information. There's information in written articles, short animated videos, a podcast. There's videos that are in Auslan. So fact sheets, numerous, numerous resources that can help people out if they're searching online to find out answers to their questions. Well, Dr. Canotti, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Dr. Michaelia Canotti talking about why you should make an appointment with your dentist. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please subscribe to the Diffusion Science Radio channel on youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolfe. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8 C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2 MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3 MVR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7 LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and... 2XXFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf, or join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolf. Join us inside your audio device of choice, for more science wondering next week 
on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.